0: Well, once again, welcome. We're in this uh, series called I Am, and we're looking at famous statements of Jesus. And today it's I Am the Resurrection. I Am the Resurrection and the Life. And before we start on this, I want to give you three benefits. Three benefits of what this I Am the Resurrection is actually all about. Lest you and I start drifting away somewhere in our minds, thinking this is just some theological doctrine that Jesus is wanting his followers to understand and file away. The three benefits that I want to talk about this morning is, number one, that God invites you to be honest. Number two, God turns your funeral into a feast. And number three, God invites you to believe. That's what this is going to come down to. So there's the three benefits. Let me read the passage, and then we'll come back and talk about each of those, those benefits. It's found in John chapter 11, starting in verse 21. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing, standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Wow. Let's, uh, let's pray again together. Father, God, we, we seek for you right now to bring hope. We seek right now for you to reveal these real life, truly relevant to our lives right here in San Francisco. Show us, reveal to us the, the true benefits of you being the resurrection. Uh, we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Did you notice verse 21 and 32? Mary and Martha say, where were you, Jesus? If you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. Where were you? You've got to love the candid honesty of people in the Bible. you just got to step back as you read it and go, these folks are having real talk with God. They're not just going to church. They're not just wearing the right stuff and singing as loud as they can and thinking, it's all going to be great. Let's all just be happy. They're being very real with God, and that is the number one benefit here that I'm trying to communicate about the I am statement, I am the resurrection and the life, is God is inviting you and me to just have some real talk, just have some real talk, just be real and honest. If you read through the book of Psalms, which if you haven't, I plead with you, get in the Psalms. 150 chapters, and yet 60% of those psalms are laments. It's lamentations. It's not bitching and moaning that things are bad and the the world has gone to hell and it's all over. But it's grief and lament. And dare I say that we are not good at lamenting and grieving. Uh, Typically, uh, we have ways that we want to deal with death itself I don't know about you, but ways that I've dealt with death through loved ones or friends of mine is denial. It's just denial, or I get real busy. Uh, I just want to move along. I just want to keep rowing the boat, perhaps right off the cliff in my busyness, and assume or act as though it never even happened. Or sometimes we want to numb the pain. And in numbing the pain, we lust it up, we drink it up, we shoot it up, we shop it up, we can be those people as well. We're all guilty of this, and yet it's usually in that moment when our prayers seem to be unanswered. Has anyone ever had an unanswered prayer? Thanks for being honest and real. Yes, you have had an unanswered prayer. It's usually in that moment of feeling like God hasn't answered a prayer in the way that I thought he would answer it or in the time frame that I thought it would go down that I tend to drift, or I tend to doubt or be frustrated or even angry with God. And the invitation that we see here from these two people, two of Jesus' very close friends, Mary and Martha, is congratulations for finally getting real and honest. Congratulations for finally telling Jesus how you really feel. That's called lament and grief. And it's one of the most emotionally intelligent and spiritually intelligent things you could possibly do. It's not knowing the right answers. It's it's knowing what you feel and knowing what you think and becoming aware of that and even announcing that to Jesus. But as we know, lament and, and grief in the Bible doesn't just stay there. It leads us somewhere. It leads to hope. Notice further in the passage, Martha Martha ends up saying, Jesus, I believe that you are the Messiah. How can she have such a response? How can you, when you've gone through grief or loss, something really significant, express belief and trust back to God? What is it? How could she say such a thing? And here's the reason. It's not because she has all the answers. She's not expressing trust This week, you're not going to express trust in Christ because you know the answers. It's because you know that God is good. You know that God is good. You've experienced God's goodness. So in the ambiguity of where your story is going, in the midst of loss and grief and suffering and pain, you know that God is good. So I want to practice this right now. Yeah, we're going to practice it. You might want to take out a pen. You might want to bring out your iPad, your phone, you might want to write this down, or if you're not a writer, you certainly want to imagine it and think it. And here's the practice that we're going to do about being honest with God right now. And I really want you to participate. We're not going to do it out loud with each other, so no one's, uh, no one's going to have to speak out loud, but I want you to really go through the, this exercise because I'm going to ask you to review what we do right here at the very end of this talk. So this, this piece is really important we're going to practice being honest with God right now. I'm just going to pose a few reflective type questions. One is, what doubts and questions do you have about God's presence and God's care in your life right now? Think Mary and Martha. If you had been here, things would have been just great. The next question is, what are your... God, if you were only here... Or, God, if only you would do this for me, things. What are those things right now in your life? God, if you would just give me the husband I so desire. God, if you would just give me the wife I would so desire. God, if you would just help me pay off these bills. God, if you would just help me get an A in this class. You need to name that. That's what this practice is all about. And the last question before we move along here is, what seems dead in your life right now? that needs resurrection? Is it death of a dream? Is it loss of hope? Is your grief just strangling you? All right, lest we we linger there too long, we're going to get into the second benefit, second benefit, and that is that God turns your funeral into a feast, okay? Okay? This is exactly what happens in the context. If you, if you read this story and reread this story, Jesus is coming into, essentially, a funeral. People are weeping. There's a lot of sadness going on, and rightly so, and he, and he totally, totally turns things upside down in a way that they could have never, ever, ever imagined. And that is exactly what God is inviting you into in your life. Whatever funeral, whatever death of sorts that you've gone through, whether it's truly the loss of a loved one or the death of a dream or a dream not yet realized, God wants to turn that feeling of this thing is so dead and dry, he wants to turn that into a feast. He wants to resurrect that for you. The beautiful thing here is that in order for Jesus to turn this funeral, Lazarus' funeral into a feast, Jesus is the one that's going to have to go into a tomb. That's called the gospel. There's the good news of the passage right there again, just jumping out at us. Yes, he causes Lazarus to rise from the dead, but what's really being alluded to here, what's really being pointed to is that Jesus himself will end up becoming the sacrifice for the entire world and will go into the tomb. Jesus is essentially writing his own death sentence here as he's doing this for Lazarus. That's the good news of the gospel. So in verse 25 when he's saying, I am the resurrection and the life. I mean, I want you to look at that. I want you to underscore it, circle it, memorize it, highlight it if you're using your phone right now. I am the resurrection and the life. So he's saying, because I have risen from the dead, death will not have the last word in your story. It can't. Even though you die, you're going to live. Even though you've lost a loved one. Even though your days, my days, they're all numbered, you're going to live forever. Your story is not over. Do you hear? Do you hear that your story is not over? No matter how bad it's getting, no matter how much suffering you're going through, no, ma- no matter, literally, no matter how. Unclear it all seems. It's not over. Mary and Martha had no idea what Jesus was going to do. In fact, just the opposite, where were you? Where were you? Had you done it this way, everything would have been great. But you allowed it to happen, and I don't get it. And he's saying, wait, resurrection's coming. Feast is on its way. You don't get it. I don't even want you to get it right now. Follow me. Trust me. Trust me. Wait on me, he's saying. Your story's not over. Right? Typically, we view death as, as what? The grim reaper. Death comes in and just reaps, and story's done. It's over. And Psalm back in the Psalms again, chapter 30, I love this verse, where he says, Weeping may last through the night, but joy comes in the morning. Death doesn't last. Death is a loser. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul is, is wanting his listeners to know that because of the resurrection of Jesus, we can say to death, O oh death, where is your sting? O oh death, where is your victory? Right in the face of death, or right in the face of an encroaching death to a dream or anything that you may be going through. Look at verse 35, the shortest verse perhaps in the, the entire Bible. Two words. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. If you're studying around and digging a little deeper here and you're getting into the original language here, this is sort of a guttural snorting that a bull would do. This Jesus wept. Yes, there's tears. Yes, he's sad, but this is an underlying anger that's being expressed. It's not anger toward Lazarus. Lazarus didn't do anything wrong. Not anger towards his sisters, Mary and Martha. It's anger towards sin, which has led to death, disease, illness, sickness, the need for hospice care, cancer, AIDS, all the rest, racism, injustice. He's angry at sin. And he knows once again that he's going to be dying on a cross because of sin. Not because he's a sinner, but on behalf of sinners. So he stands there at his friend's grave and he weeps at the loss, even though he knows he's going to raise him. Have you ever sat with someone and just wept with them? Typically, we're not too good at that. Typically, we see something that needs to be fixed or solved or someone shares news with us and, you know, without even thinking about it, we've got some solution we want to we share with them. And Jesus does one of the most powerful things that we can do with each other. He weeps. He shares his concern. And back to his anger, I mean, if you think about an artist, think about an artist that's, that's created something, they've made something, maybe they've, uh, an architect perhaps, and they've built an amazingly beautiful building, and if something happens to that building, I think they get upset. If someone's made an article of clothing and, and someone like rips it or stains it or changes what they had done to it, There's some vested interest there. They get angry with it. This is the type of anger that the artist Jesus is feeling. We are his masterpiece. We are his creation. And sin is messing with the story here. And so that's why Jesus is weeping and angry at this. Lastly, the third benefit. There's a million benefits. The resurrection of Jesus and being limited of time. In fact, they're limitless. But being limited by time here, I'm just highlighting three of these benefits. And the third one is God invites you to believe. Really, this is what it comes down to. Jesus. And if you keep reading chapter 11, it says that many did believe. Many did go on to believe. It also says that many then had even more desire to kill him and put him on a cross as an imposter who was claiming to be God. But the benefit of Jesus saying, I am the resurrection and the life, is that God invites you to believe today, right now. And if you believe before, great. It's, it's time to re-up. It's time to remember that commitment and, and re-believe again. And he's not saying, believe in me as a category. Believe in me as a category and check the category off. He's wanting you to believe in him as a person. He's a person. Verse 26, I love this verse. She says, whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Whoever lives by believing. See, that that is just great evidence right there that belief is not like a one-time thing, but it's, it's your life at work this week. It's your life this week as you interact with money as you interact with your own sexuality, as you interact with what you participate in, what you listen to, what you watch, all of that has to do with how we're believing and following and trusting here. Do you understand how we're unleashed here by Jesus saying that I'm the resurrection and the life? Is that you can live now. Yeah, there's eternal life. Yes, he's established that through, through raising Lazarus, That even though Lazarus dies, he's going to live. But what he's saying is not just in heaven that you're going to live forever. You can live now. That's the benefit that you have now. You can live now with courage. You can live now with faith into whatever you're stepping into because Jesus is the resurrection. You can get risky, right? As a Christian, you can live a risk-taking life. And that was one of my biggest fears in becoming a Christian is I'm a risk-taker at heart. I like taking risks. And the idea of becoming a Christian to me sounded like all my joy, all my fun, all my risk are gone. Let's just live a stable, safe life. And Jesus is saying, you can get risky. You can risk it all because you don't have to fear. You don't have to fear your finances. You don't have to fear where your future's going. Trust me with that. I've got that. Don't fear that because Jesus really loves me even more than I love myself I can trust that he's good and he has my best interest at heart God cares for me more than I care for myself God's plans for me is going to be better than the ones that I could even create for myself because Jesus really loves his creation more than I know and understand I can trust that he has a plan for the future of what he's created, both our physical world and our material world and our own spiritual world. There are things that I can't even imagine that God has planned for us. So we'll end with a practice again. Remember the first little practice we shared together? I want you to remember those things that you wrote down earlier. And what we're going to practice right now is believing Jesus. No, this is not that moment where the minister says, anybody who wants to believe, raise your hand, and we do something else. This is in the own privacy uh, and, and space that you're being invited into right now with God, and that is to believe. And what it means is trading, trading in your what-ifs. Remember those what-ifs you wrote down? Remember those fears perhaps you wrote down, those doubts and questions that you have about God's presence and care in your life? I have them too. Remember we asked, what are your, God, if only you were here, or God, if only you would do this for me, then I would believe. Or we asked, what seems dead in your life right now that you need God to bring to life? Here's the moment of belief. Transferring those what-ifs into assurance based on who God is and who God is inviting you to believe that he is. I can't give that to you. I can't even study harder or become more convincing in my speech right now. It won't work. God is inviting you to believe. So let's pray. Let's pray. Dear God, we, we ask you to give us belief. Help us express belief back to you and transfer trust. Help us be honest with you, knowing that you love us and are gentle with us. We invite you to turn our funeral into a feast by changing things that seem to be dead in our lives. Help us live by believing in you and help us trade our what-ifs for certainty that you truly are the resurrection and the wife. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.